ninth chapter this morning, and we'll be we'll be reading just one verse. Uh, this whole ninth chapter is a um, a story, an event that happened during the ministry of Jesus. It's called the sixth sign. Been preaching about these signs, and uh, you know what? I am really enjoying preaching about these signs. It's just touching me. The book of John, you know, kind of broke down, and from the first chapter, 18th verse to the 12th chapter, they call the book of signs, and seven great signs. There's some others that we will be talking about. But these um, these signs are uh, wonderful, and we see them, I hope that you're seeing them in a fresh and new direction. That they're not just another miracle, but they go a lot deeper than that. And I, I hope as we're as we're going over these that that your eyes just spiritual eyes come open to a few things maybe you didn't see before. And so I'm not here to preach to you uh, something that you haven't heard before if you haven't read the Bible. Maybe then you haven't heard it, but if you've read the Bible through, you're with us this morning, and we're just going to comment on God's Word. It stands alone. It is great. The ninth chapter, and the first verse, and it says this, and passing by, talking of Jesus, and passing by, he saw a blind man, a man blind from his birth. Blind from his birth. I want to talk about this ninth chapter and this great sign that the Lord left us. You need to be careful about signs. Signs aren't enough to secure your faith just in their self. Let's look at the man Peter. We talked about walking on the water last week. Look at the man Peter. He got out of the boat and walked on water. How could he ever forget that? That is so that's just something that that would be a life changer, right? That ever happened to you? Could you just easily forget that that it even happened? But we find him denying that he even knows who the Lord is. One of the greatest miracles that ever happened to mankind to defeat the laws of physics and walk out on the water towards Jesus. But we find Peter denying Jesus that he even knows the man. But it's a good thing that something else had happened with that sign too that the Lord had put in this, this handprint, imprint upon Peter's life. Because we also, after he denied, we find him out weeping bitterly. Because it went deeper. Can you say amen? So the sign itself just isn't enough. Because we've seen people healed that, that don't even serve the Lord. We've, be, we've seen people that, that have seen great things happen in their life that just walk away. But if God makes that sign an impression upon your heart, and that's what we pray this morning, that it will impress your heart, 
not the mental intellect, not the physical, but God impress the heart this morning. Can everybody say amen? If God wanted to impress your heart, would you let him do it? And so, Lord, we just ask you this morning that you would be honored in the word. We ask you, Lord, as we try to tell and depict what happened in these events, Lord, we weren't there. We're only reading the report. But, Lord, help us to see in that what you're doing, what you're trying to do, what you're showing, and even what you are showing to us. In this word, we pray. In your name, Jesus, be revealed. Amen. We know that he has the power of his word over elements. And I have been re rehearsing these every time just briefly, so go with me. Water into wine. We know that his word is not stopped by distance. They're in the town of Cana. And the nobleman's son is many miles away in the town of Capernaum, and he is sick and he is dying. And the word of the Lord is able to reach that far. We know that he has the power to look over a man who is crippled, and just by simply speaking his word, that man arises and takes up his bed and walks. His hands can multiply bread. And I just, I sincerely enjoyed the connection of how that he broke the bread and how that it connected us with the Lord's Supper and we still break that bread in honor of the Lord. And then his feet, walking upon the face of the waters, the face of the deep, and the connection there between what God did in Genesis 1 and the Spirit of the Lord moved and hovered over the face of the deep and the waters. And then we find Jesus coming to them on the water. And He also walking over, hovering over the water. <clears throat> and that connection with the great Creator. It becomes evident to me more and more as I study and hopefully... To you it becomes evident as you see the Word of God that, that Jesus, really, that Jesus is the center of the whole picture. I think sometimes at church we lose that. We kind of get feeling like, you know, church stuff is, is really the center of the picture, and it isn't. That Jesus, you can help my life, and, and you're, you're going to make my life so much better if, if I take you as Lord, and, and really it's not really about your life it's about him and all things circle around him when you were a little kid and you were in school they brought out the planets and they showed you how the universe circled and and everything went around and 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 trying to trying to really kind of believe that maybe the earth is the center of all things and some say well the sun is the center and everything evolves around that but everything evolves around him. Jesus, you're the center. Can the church say amen? And so all of these great miracles that he did <clears throat> are not just to heal one man. It's not just to, to um, turn water into wine so people can have something to drink at a wedding. 
That's not his intent, but it all goes to the point of drawing out and proving and bearing out that he is I am. And so if we look at the statement, and I'm not going to read this whole chapter, but if we look at the statement in verse 32 of the ninth chapter, it says, it says, from the ages, it was not heard of that anyone opened the eyes of the one having been born blind. Now think about that. There was a lot of prophets. There was Moses and the prophets. There were men that did great things, but there is no record of anyone healing a man who was born blind. There's just no record of it until Jesus comes on the scene. But again, may I say to you that it's not just to heal a man. There were a lot of men that were blind. There were a lot of people that were sick. But there's a purpose in this sign, and we find it in verse 3, where Jesus said, the works of God, that the works of God might be made manifest in him, the blind man. That the work of God might, might be made manifest in a blind man. Now, how would you like to be blind for at least 30 years? Maybe more than that. He's a man, and we find in the story, we'll, we'll go into the story of it here in a minute, but his parents said he's an adult, ask him. And in the Jewish uh, culture, 30 years old. So this man is at least 30 years old, and <clears throat> he's been blind, hasn't seen anything, doesn't know what anything looks like. For 30 years, at least. And the purpose of that blindness is that the glory of God would be revealed. Is there anybody here this morning that would like to raise their hand and say, I would like to be blind for 30 years so that the glory of God can be revealed? I mean, I, you know, we all like miracles, but nobody likes to be in the place where they need one. And this man's been blind his whole life. And, but he's going to be used, and I think, I have to think that later on, that this man became a part of the early church, and knowing then that he was used by the Lord for certain reasons, knowing then that, that somehow that his life counted. Does everybody want your life to count? I want my life to count for something, amen? I don't want to just live and, and, and get it over with and die. That's, that's, you know, God's got a purpose for each one of us. He's got a plan. Well, for this man, there was a plan for this man. Even though he's blind all these years, I believe later on he realized who and how and, and his life plugged into the culture of the early church. And he became, I believe, one of the great members of the early church. <clears throat> now, this sixth sign is going to be left on this man. And it will show again one more time that Jesus is Lord and God. Amen. Amen. I believe that's what it's about. If I could stand up here and tell you one thing this morning, it wouldn't be a bunch of rules to live by. It wouldn't be to try and persuade people to do right things and good things and nice things to others. I would be here to try and tell you that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That is the answer. Jesus is Lord of lives. Can the church say amen? And so I want to start this 
uh, Jesus comes out of the temple. He's been in the temple in chapter 8, verse, uh, well, I won't go to the verse right yet, but in the 8th chapter of John. And during this whole chapter, he's had this conversation, this discourse with the Jews. And now he is leaving out of there. It got very heated. In fact, to the point that they were ready to kill him. That's how heated it got. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation that you wanted to choke somebody out. <clears throat> I've been in some that, that I thought, well, this isn't going anywhere but bad. And this is what happened. The Jews are going there. They're fighting with him, arguing with him, and all he's doing is just laying it out right and perfect, and, and they are just arguing and arguing, and it, heat, it heats and heats and heats to the point that they pick up stones, and they're ready to kill him, and he escapes and passes through the midst of them and goes outside of the temple, and now I like this how this is, this is framed here because the first verse says, and passing along, <clears throat> he saw... A man that had been blind from his birth. Now this is this is this is great because this whole thing is set up. This whole thing is used for the glory of God. And so as he passes through the midst of trouble, gets outside of the temple here somewhere, but he's still close, and sees this man who's a beggar who's been been uh, laying here begging from people. It's the only way that he can survive is the goodwill of other people. And so he's, he's begging. He's calling out for help. And Jesus sees this man. He's, he's been blind all of his life. And now the disciples have an interesting question. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the disciples say to him, Lord, who has sinned that this man is blind? Was it him? Or was it his parents? That question to me seems to be kind of odd. Doesn't it to you? Because in our Christian culture, we don't think that way. But see, in, in Judaism, there was some Eastern mystic religion beliefs that found its way into Judaism. And now we think, you know, these are God's people. These, these folks are the ones that, you know, they're, they're, they're carrying the banner of the Lord. But really, by the time Jesus shows up in the temple, there's a lot of things going on there that are not godly. Some of their beliefs are just, they, they've incorporated things into their beliefs. And, and so let's talk about that for a minute because this question seems to be so weird. Did this man sin? that he was born blind? Or did his parents sin so that he was born blind? I mean, they only gave the Lord two options there. But the thing I like about the Lord, he just he can just debunk all those kind of questions. Amen. And so what happens is, is that in Judaism, they have accepted some, some teachings and beliefs that really didn't come from Scripture, didn't come from Moses, didn't come from the prophets. They literally, some of them believed in reincarnation. Judaism that was infiltrated with reincarnation thoughts. Now let me address that for, for just a minute because what they believed was is there are so many souls and those souls would come back in another person. 
Now, not all of them believed this, but some of the Pharisees. We know that Herod believed this, and Herod was a half-Jew. But Herod said about Jesus, said, is this John the Baptist come back to life? In other words, reincarnated in this other man. And they believed that somehow that certain souls would come back and that, that things that you did in the past uh, had a reaction to, to your life right now. And this other thing that they believed in was the transmigration of souls. And I didn't know this. I had to study into this because transmigration of souls. Man, that's weird. And what they believed in that was that sickness was a punishment for evil deeds that you did or committed in a prior lifetime. Is that your soul was in another person and you did bad deeds and now your soul is reaping the bad deeds that you did in another lifetime that you don't even know about. Some of the rabbis taught that infants could sin in the womb. I mean, this seems like craziness to us, right? Because all we know is the Christian culture. And I thought about this the other day. One of the things that Jesus had to do a lot of times was cast out devils. And being with my Uncle Skip in Mexico, a lot of times they have to cast out devils there. And I'll tell you why. It's because they take other religions and they incorporate those things into Catholicism and they get a lot of witchcraft and other things in Catholicism and they find a devil in that. A lot of these people took on beliefs of mystic religions and they literally had demons that were in their lives. Now, I don't believe that everybody that's not saved has a demon. There's some folks believe that, that, that you know, you have, no, you don't have a demon. You just have a self-will that needs to come under control of the Spirit of God. <clears throat> so we're not everybody that comes in here, we're going to cast a demon out. I've seen people that way. You want to cast out all these demons. Well, you don't, you don't have a controlling demon in your life. You have the influence of the devil. You have the influence of sin. And then you have your self-will that you're trying to work with. But Jesus had to cast out devils. And I wonder why so many people had devils because they had received all of these different beliefs and incorporated them into Judaism and thought they were serving God with these things. And the rabbi's teaching that in your mother's womb you could sin. How ridiculous is that? So the question that the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Well, the only way this man could have sinned in order to be born blind would be to sin in his mother's womb. Isn't that, isn't that fantastic? Now, the Scripture does say that we are shaped in sin and iniquity, right? There's no righteous, no, not one, but we come to the Lord. The Lord makes us righteous. And, and, and so there is this issue of being born in sin, but, but sinning as an infant, sinning as someone who doesn't even know, you have no knowledge, I hardly believe that you can sin without knowledge. Come on, say amen. Ken and I were talking about this the other day, and she said, well, where did little children go? Uh, if they die, where do they go? Where do they go to heaven? I said, they, the Lord, he sorts all that out. But certainly they can't sin unless they have a knowledge. Sin is a willful transgression of the law. It's a willful transgression against God and His laws and His commandments. And so the idea that little children sin in the womb, I don't think so. 
And neither did the Lord think so. So he debunked that kind of stuff. That's, that's all out of other religions and things. And we're, we don't incorporate that into Christianity. And there's a lot, of, a lot of outside stuff that has been incorporated into Christianity. And I want to be like the Lord. We're going to debunk all of that that we can. And we're going to keep it straight. Listen, there is only one person responsible for sin, and that is the person that does it. You are responsible for your own sin. Your parents don't weigh in. Somebody say amen. And thank God that, you know, if we had bad parents, then, then we are not punished and come out with physical ailments because they were sinners. Jesus said, no, this man didn't sin. That's not why he's blind. He didn't sin, in other words, in his mother's womb. Nor did his parents sin and bring this upon him. Nor did he sin in another lifetime and bring this upon him. And so the Lord just clears the air, and that's the last we hear of anything like that. And I believe the Lord probably spoke to them privately, talking to them about this issue. Because I don't think that, <clears throat> that the punishment for sin, even though in the Old Testament it says that God will visit, visit the, the sins to the third generation, but I don't believe that the sins of the fathers are going to make any difference in this thing called salvation, the doctrine of salvation in Jesus Christ. It makes that stuff nonsense. And God erases the sin in your life and anything that would have any tainting in your life. God makes you righteous and clean and holy and pure and sin then cannot defile you. Can you say amen? There is a connection with sin and sickness, though. Let me, let me give it in this way. It's what Jesus said both to the man at pool of Bethesda and also to the woman who was taken in adultery. Go and sin no more. And he tells the man that he healed the pool of Bethesda lest a worse thing come upon you. I mean, that would be kind of scary. <clears throat> In other words, once God touches you, don't go back to where you were. God's done a good work in your life. You don't go back out there because worse things are going to happen in your life than what you had before. And so we stay under the safety of the Lord in His pavilion. Amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And so now the Lord says, and I'm trying to comment on a few verses before we get right into what actually happened, but I must work while it is day, the Lord says. And, and keep this in mind right here. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I've got something to say right here that you probably haven't thought about too much. John 8, Jesus used those words, I am. Here in the ninth chapter, he doesn't use ego, I me. He just says, I am in the sense of am. But he says, I, personal pronoun, first personal pronoun, I am the light of the world. But here he says, as long as I am in the world, 
I am the light of the world. Yeah, I'm going to show you something here that, that I want you to think about. If he's saying, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world, then when he's gone, what happens? He must work the works of the, the one sending him. He must finish those works and work those works while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. He must make manifest, make visible the true identity of who he is while he is in the world. So that we have record. Listen, I'm not just preaching Jesus because I think he's a good guy. I'm not just preaching Jesus because history said there was a man named Jesus. And there was a Pontius Pilate. And, and history shows that they did crucify this man named Jesus. That's not why I'm preaching Jesus. I'm preaching Jesus because of his identity, because of who he is, because he revealed himself and he said who he was and he showed who he was and he gave signs of who he was and he revealed it time and time again. And there's only one reason for that. It's because he wanted to reveal to the world who he was. God come in the flesh, the I am. And he's going to work these things while he is in that flesh body. Okay. His voice, command, it heals. It changes the elements. His hands multiply bread and his feet walk on water. Now let's talk about his spit. Now that's kind of a Years ago, I think, I taught, taught about it. Anybody remember that? Lord spit in my mouth. Yeah, that's what I preached about years ago. Because the Gospel of Mark, two times he talks about Jesus spitting. Now, that's uncouth. You know, are we going to talk about Jesus spitting? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about Jesus spitting today. I like the Greek word. Everybody can kind of say it with me. Patu. That's the Greek word. Patu. Almost transliterated, right? <clears throat> it wasn't nice and clean and sweet and pretty. He spit on the ground. All right. And then he's, he's going to make mud out of the spittle and put it on, and, and it uses the word uh, anoint. It, it's going to be uh, an application on his eyes. Somebody said, I've heard this preach, well, the man didn't have any eyes, and so Jesus made mud and put it in the sockets, and they became, and that's a good thought, but it isn't exactly what the scripture, the scripture said he anointed the eyes that he had in there with mud. This is, this is pretty cool. Now, if I put myself in the place of this man, and I've been blind for a long time, don't know anything, and then all of a the sudden, there's somebody that is wiping mud in my eyes. He doesn't know who he is. 
you know, he's hearing this thing go on and, and he's experiencing it, but, but he doesn't, you know, he's just like blind. He doesn't know. And here Jesus is, take this mud, spits on the ground, makes out of the spittle, makes a mud mess in his fingers and rubs it in the guy's eyes. What is so interesting to me is what happens next. And, and here you're going to have to catch a thing because I want you to see the importance. And, and this is a parallel. This is a parallel, okay? Go wash yourself in the pool of Salome. Can you see this blind man now? How in the world is he going to know where the pool of Salome is, for one thing? If he could see, he sure can't now. He has mud in his eye. Uncomfortable situation for him all the way around. I don't know if he had a white stick. I don't know if they did that in that day. But, man, he's trying to find the pool of Salome. Uh, I believe that he has heard that the one that anointed him is a healer. And like blind Bartimaeus, remember Bartimaeus? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me because he had heard that Jesus was a healer. And this man had heard something or he'd have just wiped the stuff off and kept on begging. But he's heard this Jesus. And so he is now going to make his way. And the pool of Siloam is close to the temple. The pool of Siloam is there for ritual purposes. They go and wash there and they clean themselves there because if they're going to go into the temple and they're going to give sacrifice or do any duties, then they, they literally baptize themselves. And the pool of, the pool of Siloam is right there by the temple. And so it's easy for them. And they walk down the steps and they clean their, and ritually clean themselves. And then they go on to do the thing in the temple. And here's this blind man coming and he's knocking people over. And I don't know if you've ever, ever been around blind people. We had a girl at school, in high school, and when they rang the bell, um, she went out into the corridor with hundreds of kids falling over her cane, tripping, running into people because she couldn't see. She's just swinging that cane. And I see this guy in my mind. He's trying to get to the pool. He doesn't have the ability really to know where he's at. Somebody might be leading him. And when he gets to the pool, that pool of sanctity, he's going to muddy it up. They're down there trying to get all cleaned up and purified to go into the temple. And here's this guy, and he's going to get the waters all muddied up. But when he finally does get down, I don't know if he dove in. I don't know if he jumped in. Or he may have just bent over, splashing the water. trying. But when he was done, for the first time in his life... He looked out there and he could see. He could see now the people that were around him, friends, possibly that he never knew by sight. He could see the temple that he wasn't welcome to be in because the blind and the maimed and the halt were not able to go into the temple. And for the first time in his life, he can see what an awesome thing that God has done in his life. The people around him now, as you go through the chapter, the people around him now are saying, is this not the man that sat here all those years begging? And some said, well, it looks like him. But what's he doing seeing? And don't you, don't you think that he was not just seen? He was seeing. woo -hoo! Jumping and making a scene. 
The man that was healed that couldn't go into the temple of, of, uh, of Peter and John at the gate, beautiful. Once strength came into his ankles, where did he go? Right in the temple, shouting and praising and leaping. And this is where this man went. Because the neighbors around him, the friends around him, they said, what happened to you? And he begins to tell the story. But let me talk about this pool, Salome, just a little bit more. The word and, and the writer here makes sure that we know what Salome means. The Hebrew word was just a little different. It was shalak. But the Greek rendering, Siloam, it comes from, and I love this, it comes from the word apostello, to be sent. And so the writer says the interpretation of Salome is sent. Well, that's, that's, that's not quite good enough. In its interpretation, that's exactly what it means. But, but we have to go back to the root word, apostello. It's the word that we get apostles from. Now, I'm going to show you what Jesus did, and you can take it or leave it and like it or don't like it. But Jesus said, I'm the light of the world as long as I'm here. But when I'm gone, you are the light of the world. And let me tell you what's going to happen in order to see you're going to need to get down to where the apostles are preaching Jesus Christ because that's where your blinders are going to come off of your eyes. And Jesus commissions his men, take the blinders off the people. And the message is this, go to the pool of Siloam. Don't go wash there. Go wash at the feet of the apostles because the apostles are the ones that are preaching Jesus Christ to the world. And Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And they're going to lead you to the light of the world. And so if you have on your eyes spiritual blindness and you cannot see, don't try and figure it out yourself. Get over there where somebody's anointed by God to wash the eyes of the people so that they can see Jesus Christ plainly. Can you say amen? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a great rendering? Thank the Lord. And so the Lord so trusts his ministers. You can say, Pastor, well, you're speaking about yourself. No, I, I just, I've always believed this. I've always respected this about the Lord. Is that he's the light of the world as long as he's there. But when he's gone, does the light go out? No. He delivers it to his church. And he says, you are the light of the world now. And what's going on in the church is the light of the world. And if somebody's going to get cleansed and their eyes be cleaned and open so they can see Jesus. It's going to be because there are preachers that are preaching the Word of God, the deliverance of the gospel of salvation. Can you say amen? If nobody preaches salvation, nobody's going to get salvation, really. It's going to be a miracle if anybody. How can you receive unless you have heard? And how can you hear unless there be a preacher? So God commits it to those men to become that pool of Siloam and wash people's eyes. You're sent to do it. You out in the congregation this morning, not just pastors and teachers and elders, we are sent by the Lord to wash the eyes of the blind, those that can't see those those who don't know Jesus that that the, the 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 God of this world has hindered them blinded their eyes from seeing the truth you and I become that light can you say amen his holy men his holy church 
They are those who defend the gospel, those who maintain the doctrines of our faith, those who contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And I believe with all my heart that this church is in the process of doing that. It is important that we keep the doctrines of Christ in place. It is important that we worship according to the Word of God and that we model this church after what we've seen God ordain in the past, not what we want, not what comes down from the big church, not what comes down through religion, but modeled after what the Lord has set up. I will build my church because where His church is, His preachers will center Jesus Christ as the headpiece of everything that happens in that church. We'll never wash men's eyes with what's coming down the pike for Pentecostalism now, for charismaticism. We'll never wash, even though they claim to be in the river, it will not wash the eyes. There's only one thing going to wash the eyes, and that is the preaching of Jesus Christ. The preaching of His Word. Amen. And so this blind man's story, let's pick it back up. The blind man's story. It was a Sabbath. Don't you love? I just love it that Jesus does this to them. He's tormenting them. Can't you just heal on another day? Uh, yeah, I can, but I'm going to do it on a Sabbath. But our law says you can't heal on a Sabbath day. You see, there's some more of that stuff. They got all kinds of stuff in Judaism that doesn't have anything to do with God. So no wonder the Lord said, no, I, you know, I'm going to heal this guy, but it, it's only the sixth day of the week. Let's wait a day. We're going to heal him on the Sabbath. Because he's going to show that in one place he said, I want you to know that, that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath also. Hallelujah for the Lord's Day. Can you say amen? <laughs> Something special about the Lord's house and the Lord's Day, and I love it. Now, <clears throat> this man, he's healed, he's He's seen for the first time, and now they gather him, take him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees begin to question him, how did you get healed? He says, well, he said, a man anointed my eyes with mud, and he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And um, when I washed, I am healed. You know, that's, that's really simple. They can't? No, no. No, that, that can't be it. Who is this man? He said, well, I don't know. it. You know, his name is Jesus, but, but I don't know anything other than that. And they say, oh, no, 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 this is not a man of God. He healed on the Sabbath. He can't be of God. And a man says, well, I'll tell you what, I, I, I don't know about all that, but he must have something. He healed me. They call the man's parents in. Like, the guy's not smart enough. He's only 30-something. And so all you people that are still in your 30s, we're going to have to talk to mom and dad. Called mom and dad in, and mom and dad said, well, listen, here's the deal. We know that this is our son, and we know that he was born blind. But anything beyond that, you're going to have to get it from him. And they said that because they feared the Jews. The Jews had already said, if you claim Christ or Jesus as Christ, we're kicking you out of the temple. They didn't want to be kicked out of the temple, but the blind man, he doesn't care. They bring him back in the second time and said, we ask you, 
How did you receive your sight? And I love his answer. He says, really? I told you last time and you wouldn't listen to me. Is it because you want to be his disciple? Oh, boy. I mean, this guy, is he's tuning in to where the Lord's at. You want to be his disciple? Is that why you're asking me again? He said, okay, I'll tell you again. He said, the man put mud in my eyes and go wash in Siloam, and I am healed. And they said, that's impossible because this man is a sinner. He does these things on the Sabbath. And then, then this ex-blind man says a line that we have used in Pentecostalism, and we love it. I don't know about all that. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know, he says. But I do know this. Once I was blind, but now I see. And that fact cannot be disturbed. It, that's in my mind, my heart. doesn't matter what you tell me. I know I was blind, and I know that now I see. And what did they do? They kicked him out of the temple. Bang. And Jesus went to find him. He did the same thing. With the man was healed in the pool of Bethesda. Once they kick you out of the temple, Jesus goes to find you. And he finds this man and asks him a question. Now, in the text, in the script, depending on which ancient text that you reference, there's going to be a little bit of a, a, a difference in how this question was asked. One of them will say, Jesus asked the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? Most of the texts say that. And then the received text says this way, do you believe in the Son of God? Now, I had to put my man, uh, this man back in, in, in my mind of he's never been to church. He's never sat under the teaching. He only knows what people have told him. Maybe his mom and dad have read to him out of the Scripture but really, he's, he doesn't know very much at all. In fact, he doesn't know much about Jesus. He doesn't know much about the Jews. He really doesn't know much of nothing. He's been blind. He's kind of been separated and out. But do you believe in the Son of Man? Let's take that one first. The Son of Man is a reference, a direct reference, to the book of Daniel where the Son of Man was the Messiah. And so it is a, a uh, reference or a title for Messiah. And so Jesus could have been asking him, do you believe in the Messiah. And the man, uh, whether he asked him, do you believe in the Son of God or whether you believe in the Messiah, we're really all about the same. I don't think we should make a big deal over that, and they have. Um, a lot of scholars have made a big deal over that. But to me, it's the same thing. Do you believe in the Messiah? Uh, I don't know. Tell me who he is. If you can tell me who he is, I'm going to believe in him. And I love what Jesus says. Now you see him. You didn't see him before, but now you see him. You're looking at him. And the one speaking to you, the one talking to you right now, is the one who is the Messiah. And the man, he was, he was smote in his spirit now. He said, Lord, I believe. And he fell down and began to worship him. Thank the Lord. Amen. I believe you, Jesus. And he fell down to worship. The Jews had told him that this man's a sinner. You need to worship God. But ultimately, that is exactly what he did. He fell down at the feet of the Lord and worshiped him. 
What kind of a man would take worship? Only our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And so, here's the sign that's left on this matter. Verse 39. Can you bring that up for me? Uh, ninth chapter, John, verse 39. We want to go there real quick. And Jesus said this. At the end of the whole matter, after the man had worshipped him and the Jews are still hanging around, and Jesus said, for judgment. And really this word judgment there means for this verdict. For this verdict. You know what a verdict is? It's a decision that the judge makes. This is the verdict. I came or I am come into this world that they would see might not see, or excuse me, they would see not, might see, and they would see might be made blind. Wow. So the verdict is, here's the sign. The sign is not a man who got healed because he washed his eyes, and, and the, sign, the sign is, I've set this thing up so you'll know a thing here. I came into this deal so that the blind have an opportunity to see. Mm. Mm. And now he's not talking about the flesh. Now he's talking about something that goes beyond just the flesh. Come on. It goes beyond just, you know, my eyes can see. And I know as you get older, you know, your eyes start to dim out on you and you start getting cataracts and, and I have an injury and it kind of... Uh, years ago, and, it, and and so I don't see very well out of that one eye, and, and I think about that, you know, Jesus, you could heal that, and is he concerned about that? I believe he is, but there's something greater in my life than whether I can see with these eyes or not. Come on, say amen. And so I came into this thing to show a thing, and the thing is, those ones that cannot see have an opportunity to see for the first time. They couldn't see. They were blind. Their eyes were stopped. And you'll never, never accept Jesus Christ with blinded eyes. The blindness has to come off in order to see him. But when you see him, when you see him as the king of glory, when you see him as the I am the light of the world, something begins to happen on the inside of you. And it's not now that you get to see him face to face as a personal man, but you see him out of your spirit. Somebody say man that your eyes were blind you couldn't see him at all you didn't know him at all you had heard his name you knew he was out there somewhere but you just didn't know who he was until your eyes were opened and then you could see him as he was the one speaking to you the one standing in front of you and you said Lord I believe and fell down and begin to worship him somebody say amen and then he came for those who think they see that they'll be smoke blind. Wow. Man, we got to beware of that, right? Say amen. I, about the time I get to thinking that I've, I've got this thing figured out is about the time that the blinders come on. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. You keep open eyes. Don't think you've got it. The Jews thought they had it. Have we got Moses? 
We got the law. We got the prophets. They had all that. They just didn't have him. They were blind. If the rulers and princes of this world had known who they were crucifying, they would have never done it. They were blind to him. God help us. I don't want people to come into church and leave that church on a Sunday morning just as blind as when they came in. We've got to expose something. Something's got to be revealed in our services. Something has to be revealed in our worship. Something has to be revealed in our prayer. Something's got to be revealed in our messages, in our sermons, in our classroom time to our little children. Something's got to be revealed to get the blinders off. And that is the explanation of Jesus and who he is in this day, right now, who God is. We've got to explain it. We've got to get it out there. People don't know they're blind. They're blind. And they need to have an opportunity to see. See, all this stemmed from a conversation that was held in the temple when Jesus was talking to the Jews. And so what was set up when the Lord, it's almost like, I'm going to show you what we just talked about. He said, I want to tell you guys a thing. You want to talk about your father Abraham? Let me tell you a thing. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. And they're like, Jesus, you're crazy. You're not even 50 years old, and you're saying that Abraham saw your day? Let me, let me just take you to a rendering here from it. I'm starting to like this uh, Aramaic Bible in plain English. Let me read you this verse. Yeshua said to them, Timeless truth I speak to you. Before Abraham would exist, I am the living God. You want to talk about seeing? And they're thinking, oh, physical, Abraham saw my day. It's like, you know, he saw where Jesus walking around and doing his ministry. And that's not what Abraham saw at all. Abraham saw something that was so much deeper than that. Abraham saw salvation coming down the road. Abraham saw a time when the people of God would, be, would know what repentance and salvation was all about. And he died in that not knowing the promise, not having received the promise, yet he looked forward to a day when in out of his loins came a man, out of his generations came a man who was Jesus Christ the Lord. And he saw that day by the Spirit of God. Somehow he didn't see it by the fleshly but he did see it and though he was blind to it yet God opened it to him and in his spirit he knew that coming down the road Christ the Savior the God of this world was going to come and deliver salvation to the people amazing thing and if you want to see God if you truly want to see God no religion not, not all the ins and outs of things that churches do. 
But if you want to see God, you're going to look to Jesus. Jesus is who God is. Wow. I think this morning in closing, we can say along with the blind man, former blind man. Once I was blind, but now I see. Once I didn't know Jesus and I didn't care about him. At one point in my life, it didn't make sense to me and I didn't investigate and didn't even care to investigate. But then Jesus was revealed to me. And now I see. Can you say amen? Oh, I was blind. We were, we were in our trespasses and sins at one time, but, but thank God, now we can see. So, Pastor, man, are you perfect and don't ever know? That's, we're not talking about that. We're talking about following Jesus. We're talking about the one who's going to lift us up, who's going to make us and build us and create in us a clean heart and create in us a new atmosphere and create in us and old things are going to pass away and all things are going to become new in our life and all things are going to be of God. That's because we see Him now. Let me read you what Peter said just to close. Everything now. That was the first closing. Here's the second closing. And this is a sign left for us on this sixth sign. Here's the sign. Your faith, that your faith may be found to result in praise and honor and glory in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom not having seen, you love. Whom not yet seen, believing. In whom you exalt with joy inexpressible and render glorious. Obtaining the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Now let me kind of wrap the end of that right into the beginning of that. Your faith in Jesus Christ and the revelation of Jesus Christ, even though you have not physically seen him, your faith spiritually in him obtains salvation for you. Wow. Not that you earn it, but that you saw it and he imparted it. Can you say amen? I finally saw who he was. How many of you were kind of raised around church a little bit and, and sort of, you know, knew you went to Sunday school and, and some of that, and then, and then, but you really weren't serving Jesus. But then one day, one day the blinders came off, and you found out who he is. Come on, say amen. And though you were blind, now you see. I don't ever anticipate to see Jesus. No, Benny Hinn said Jesus was going to walk on his platform, and they were going to record it and show everybody. <clears throat> well, I think that's a, that's a foolish thing to say because that's not where my faith is. That could be a spirit of some kind. That could be an apparition. That could be a lot of different things. That's not my Lord. My Lord is what I see right here. Can you say amen? Our Lord is what we know down in here because he took the sign and he took it out of the flesh and he imprinted it into our spirit. And though we were blind, now we see. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Let's just give the Lord a hand clap of thank you and praise.